Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Is your pet ready for winter? It's time to begin thinking about that. Joining me in studio is animal behavior specialist Deborah Horwitz to talk about it and take other pet and behavior questions at 382-8255. Debbie, nice to have you back. Thank you. Good to be here. We always get such a nice response when we start talking about pets. seems like everybody's got at least one. Well, if you have a pet, you love them. And if you don't, then sometimes you wish you could have one. So, yeah, everybody likes their pets. Well, that snow that we got the other day got a lot of people thinking about uh, the do's yes. and don'ts for pets in the, uh, in the wintertime, in the cold weather. What are some basic um, rules of thumb for this time of year? Well, if you have a dog that lives outside or a cat that lives outside, when the temperature really falls to below 15 degrees, they really need somewhere warm to cuddle up. For a dog that's usually a doghouse, the door should be facing away from the prevailing winds and there should be something like um, straw inside to keep them warm. If it's really cold and you have a garage or a basement, you probably should bring them inside because when it's in single digits, that's pretty cold and they expend a lot of body heat just trying to keep warm. If you do leave them outside, remember you have to check their water multiple times a day because it freezes. Mm -hmm. And they're going to need more food because they're going to use more energy just trying to stay warm. And what about inside? Just business as usual? Well, there are some dogs who don't like to go outside when it's really cold or they won't walk in the snow to do their business. So you may need to go out and shovel a little spot so they can find their grass. When dogs learn how to be house trained, they learn where to go and what to go on. So for some dogs, that's grass, not snow, and they're really fixated on that. Before you get too far away from the cold temperature, we had a a tweet from a a listener who wanted to know what is the uh, the lowest, the coldest temperature a short-haired dog can be comfortable outside. You say single digits? Well, if your dog needs to go outside to just eliminate, they're probably fine even if they have short hair. They go outside, they go to the bathroom, they come in. If you're going to take your short-haired dog for a walk, Some of that depends how fast you walk because they do warm up pretty quickly. But another risk they have when you walk them is their feet because uh, the pads of their feet can get um, frostbite. And if there's salt and things like that on the roadways or whatever, if they lick that, of course, that's toxic. So you need to be able to wash their feet and do all those things. And if you have a short-haired pet, if they're willing to wear a coat, you can put one on them, but once they start moving, they're usually pretty warm. Well, I've seen them with little doggy boots. I've <laughs> seen them with little doggy boots, too. I adopted a Westie when he was eight, and he came with a, a parka and boots. <laughs> <laughs> we do take care of him. We get to love him and take care of him. Well, we? <laughs> he, he used to live in Minneapolis. In St. Louis, oh. he did not need his parka or his boots, and mm-hmm. he loved the snow, just right. loved it. What about cats? Many cats will not go outside when it's cold. I had a cat that uh, would go outside. She would go to every door, and you'd open it, and it'd be snow. No, not that door. Another door. No, not that door. Finally, she might go out and sit outside the door for a few seconds just to convince herself it really was not nice enough to be outside. If you do have feral cats living in your area, you really should continue to feed them and provide them someplace warm, like a cardboard box where there's some blankets or something inside, that they can get inside and keep themselves warm. They probably do not want to come in your house, but providing them shelter and food and water is really helpful to get them to survive this cold weather. You told me an interesting story about cats before we went on the air, and that is that we didn't come to them, they came to us. Yes, cats, um, 
we we take credit for domesticating dogs, which we more or less did because although they came to us, we picked the tamest ones and the nicest ones and also the ones that would work with us. Cats, on the other hand, in Africa, there are a lot of small small wild cats. And when people became more agrarian, they started growing crops and storing things like wheat and corn. Of course, that attracted lots of rodents, which attracted a lot of cats. Mm. So initially, cats said, hey, this is easy. I don't have to go as far to eat. And over time, because they are very good mousers, people said, hey, this is a great thing. And they you know, kept their cats nearby, brought them in the house, and now... In the United States, cats outnumber dogs. They're very independent creatures. What can we do to make them more like dogs? Jump into our lap and lick our face. Well, cats do have what we would call more or less three distinct personalities. There's a outgoing, friendly cat that will walk up to you, might want to sit in your lap, but certainly want to be nearby. There is a shy, timid cat that would rather not associate with people that they don't know. And there's another kind of cat that's very active and almost actively aggressive. This is the cat that gets on your furniture and starts batting things all over the floor. Um, cats themselves don't like to be pet patted on their body. Most cats don't. And there are cats that would sit on your lap if you didn't touch them. But we love to stroke them mm. and do all of that. And a lot of that deals with how they feel about contact, but also how early they were socialized to being handled. Speaking of petting, uh, I heard recently you shouldn't pet dogs on the head. They don't like that. Well, when you <clears throat> reach over the head of a dog that you don't know, what they're trying to do is they're watching you, and they're watching your face and your body to see what you're going to do. When you put your hand over their head, you obstruct their vision, and if you're going to grab them, then they can't get away. So it's threatening. Some dogs learn over time it's not threatening, and they love it. Most dogs are most uh, happy with you petting them under the chin or on their chest because that's very conciliatory. Right. Okay, back to the cold weather. We, <laughs> we, we can bounce around. We can subject. bounce around. I'm flexible. What about puppies in the cold weather? I think they would have to be treated with somewhat more care especially a very small puppy. Now, contrary to what people often think, they, they say, I have a little tiny puppy. I'm not going to take them outside because it's too cold. If you create a spot for them to eliminate and you work on your timing where they have to go to the bathroom half hour after they eat, as soon as they wake up, and take them out to the spot, make sure they go and bring them back in, it's not, it's not too cold for them to do that. But you don't want to leave them out for an extended period of time. And you don't want to neglect that house training part of it. If your goal is ultimately that your dog goes outside to go to the bathroom, winter can be pretty long time to wait and put that off that you want to train them to go outside. But short excursions outside, you, know, you could put a, a coat on them if you want. They'll be fine. You know, during the summertime, we hear again and again and again, uh, keep the animals out of the car because they get uh, it gets so hot in the cars that it's very, very dangerous very quickly. What about in the cold weather? Well, in the cold weather, when it's in the single digits, if there's a high wind, then yes, dogs and cats can get frostbite if they can't get someplace where they can burrow under and use their body heat, because they have a higher core temperature than we do, to create a warm environment. And they'll stay there until they need to go get something to eat or whatever. And you've seen both dogs and cats where they curl around and put their tail over their nose, and mm. that's to keep themselves warm. If they can be covered they'll warm themselves, they'll stay warm, but they have to be covered with some sort of insulation. Leaves 
straw, blankets. Are there any other cold weather issues that we should be talking about with regard to the, our pets? Uh, I don't want you to neglect your exercise because it's cold. So today, for example, it's cold out, but it's not too cold to take your dog for a walk. And just like us, dogs are going to get cabin fever if they can't go anywhere. And they may not be willing to run around the yard if the snow's too deep, but they might be willing to take a walk down the street one or two houses each way. And that would be really good for them. When one of the risks in the winter for all of us is weight gain. And it is difficult to get weight off pets when they get overweight. And winter is a time, if they don't go out and get their walk or playtime in the house, that's going to happen. When things begin to cool off a little bit, it's been my observation that the pets get kind of frisky. They re really seem to like cool weather, not They cold. do like cool weather. Yeah. I, I think almost all dogs like to go out in this type of weather. One of the reasons is probably the cooler, drier temperature really accentuates the scent on the ground. And what dogs and cats really like is smelling their environment. Because from that, they can learn, you know, who was here. Pete was here. Joe was here. Oh, Phil didn't come by and pee on this tree today. So they really enjoy that. It's not a good idea then to keep yanking them away from the, this little exercise they have with regard to smelling everything they can. That's really what they want to do. And in fact, a sniff walk is more tiring for a dog, more engaging for a dog, probably than a really brisk walk. Now, a young animal needs a brisk walk. And you can actually just sort of work it out with your pet that either you let them sniff and then you say, come on, let's go. And you walk for a while and then you say, go sniff. And let them have a little bit of sniff time so that you get exercise. But realize you... You need an exercise walk, and they need a sniff exercise walk. And you can do both, but they do love to sniff. I, I read something the other day indicating that a dog sniffing is as enjoyable to the dog, to the creature, as it is for us to watch a beautiful sunset. I would imagine it probably yeah. is. I, if I could get inside the mind of a dog, one of the things I would like to know is when I've had hunting breeds of dogs, and they burrow their nose right in the ground, and their tail is wagging so fast. I mean, just super, super fast. I'd like to know what that feels like from the dog's perspective because they're clearly really excited and happy about that smell. And when you watch them, you know they're having a good time. Once again, I want to invite our listeners into this conversation. I'm sure there are many people out there who have uh, pet-related questions, and uh, Debbie's exactly the person to be talking to about that. As we're talking about walking dogs on the leash, sometimes that can be a, a little bit difficult. They're off one way and off the other way. How do you, how do you train a dog to, uh, to, to walk properly on a leash? There are lots of different ways. What is best is really to use a positive method. So choke chains shock collars, anything like that, anything aversive is really not pleasant to the dog. And there are easier, kinder ways to teach them to walk on the leash. The reason the dog pulls on the leash is they want to keep going forward. They're not doing it to be defiant or whatever. They're excited. They're out there for a walk. And if you have a dog long enough to have an old dog, they don't pull on the leash because, you know, they're, they're slower. But young dogs want to get out and start going. A couple of things you can do is you can use a little treat to hold the dog by your side and tell them stay here or heal or whatever you want. Another method that is cumbersome but does work is every time the leash gets taut, you stop. You don't move until the dog turns around and comes back to you and the leash is, leash is loose. So we want the dog to learn that a loose leash means we go forward, a taut leash means we stop. And eventually dogs will pace themselves so that they're walking in front of you, 
but the leash is not tight. That's a good one. I hadn't heard that one before, but that makes a, a whole lot of sense. It takes more time than you would think, but <clears throat> dogs are not stupid. They've, they want to go forward, and if you keep stopping, they're going to figure out, how can I make this go away? <laughs> We're talking with uh, Debbie Horwitz, and we're talking about uh, training animals, animal behavior, dealing with animals in the cold weather. We certainly want to get you into the conversation. As I mentioned, I'll give you that phone number once again. It's 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if we'd, we, you would prefer to send us a tweet, do so at STL on air. Back in a moment, this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. And welcome back to our conversation with Debbie Horwitz. We're talking about animal behavior and working with animals. Debbie, what about looking dogs and cats in the eyes? Uh, well, first I want to say I'm also a veterinarian, so I'm a veterinary uh, behaviorist, uh, uh, and uh, that's a specialty within veterinary medicine. Looking dogs and cats in the eye depends on the situation. In general, in the animal kingdom, and often including us, eye contact is threatening. So if someone you don't know looks you in the eye, and you're not sure what their intent is, you usually look away. When people like each other, they look each other in the eye. And for dogs and cats, it can be true the same way. So dogs that know us and cats that know us will look us in the eye, and it will be a loving gaze. But someone who doesn't know them, who stares at them, they can't tell their intent necessarily, and they'll turn their head away, and we should respect that because it's, they're scared. Right. We have a, a tweet here from Sarah who writes, This morning I saw a chained dog shaking in the cold. The temperature at the time was about 33 degrees. Is there a specific Fahrenheit degree that is the cutoff for outdoor exercise? A cutoff for outdoor exercise? Yeah. Um, it, it depends on how active the dog's going to be so that I, I would say in the single digits, personally, mm, yeah. I would not take my dog outside. If it's below 15, I don't want to be outside either. So a short, a short walk is probably okay. Uh, and it depends on the, the physical health of your pet and how much hair they have. Is there a, maybe a rule of thumb or some way to judge by how we feel in the weather it would determine whether or not the dog would be uncomfortable? Not really, uh-huh. because um, dogs have a higher internal body temperature than we do, number one. They do have a layer of hair mm-hmm. that when it's cold outside, they kind of puff it up a little bit that, that holds air in there. So they have this warm air layer around them. And if they are sh- shivering while they're standing still, then either they need to get moving or they need to go inside. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a short. I've had dogs, big dogs and little dogs, that like to be outside when it's cold. But when it gets below about 15 degrees, most of them just want to scoot out and go to the bathroom. Single digits or 15 degrees is a yeah. temperature you keep coming back to. Let's go to the phones. We've got some callers, not unexpectedly. We'll start with Brad calling from St. Louis. Brad, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi. I was just wondering if it's okay to run with your dog. To run with your dog when it's cold or run with your dog ever? Ever. Ever. 
running with your dog has a couple of components you need to consider. First of all, you do need to consider the physical health, the conditioning of the dog you're running with. So a younger dog, bone growth's not complete. So long-term run, long distance running is probably not advisable because they're still growing and they don't have the muscle mass to deal with it over and over. Most dogs, if you ask them to go for a walk or go running, they will go. But that doesn't mean that it benefits them in the right way. So a young dog and a big dog, probably up to about 18 months, can go running, but they need to rest and you need to work up their conditioning gradually. So that's number one. Number two, the temperature of the air matters. When it's really hot, dogs don't sweat except through the pads of their feet or panting. So if it's very hot outside, it's very difficult for a dog to keep themselves cool enough when they're running. And you need to be careful that the dog doesn't overheat because overheating can be fatal. Okay. And the third thing is in the winter, depending on what's on the ground and how tough their pads are, it can be very difficult on their feet because, you know, there's ice and there's salt and uh, it can cut their pads. So you have to sort of... uh, judge the dog and see what they like. You can sort of tell uh, there's some dogs when they're running look like they're having a good time and there's some dogs who don't look like they're having a good time but they want to be with you so they'll go. If you ask me, I think a lot of dogs would run and sniff and run and sniff. That would be their choice. <laughs> yeah, he's good for about the first mile and then he starts to drag. So okay. Yeah, so that might be too far for him. Okay. 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 Brad, thank, thank you very much. Thank you for the call. That reminds me, I saw just yesterday, saw a gentleman on a bike uh, right. Riding and the dog was running alongside right. on the leash, right. but they were going along at a pretty good clip. And I just wondered how long can they keep this up? It depends on the fitness level of the dog. Mm. We we had a dog, a German Shorthaired Pointer, and he could run on the leash. He was a big dog, and when we started doing it, he was heavily muscled. He could do it for a long time. When you ride with your dog on a on a bicycle and he's on a leash, you have to have good control of your dog because if they dart off, that you know they're yeah. gonna. They see a squirrel. You you might have right. a problem. Right. All right. They will take a call now from uh, Marsha calling from St. Louis. This is uh, going to be a tough question, I think. But go ahead, Marsha. Hi. I was wondering if you can advise me. When, how do you know as a dog owner when is the right time to put a dog down? I have a 15-year-old Shih Tzu. Well, there are a couple of things. You should always consult with your personal veterinarian. When your pet is dealing with chronic diseases where we've reached the extent of medical intervention that we can do to make them comfortable and the disease's progression is ongoing, then we have to look at what I like to say is, are we prolonging life or just postponing death? Okay? So some people say if the dog's still eating, then that's okay. But a lot of dogs will eat even when they're really close to death. It's their ability to get up and walk around and interact with the people that they want to interact with. I do think there is a certain subset of dogs who, when they lose their bladder and bowel control, um, find that very difficult. They can't stand up and it's almost as though, you know, they're embarrassed, they're soiling themselves. And I would take all those things into consideration. There are People have different points of view about it, and my feeling is that, in fact, I just recently had a cat that abruptly went downhill, was diabetic, and uh, he just crashed, looked like he had a tumor in his abdomen, and uh, he was not strong enough to undergo any surgery or anything, and we humanely let him go because it was his time. And 
um, I, I, it's very difficult. It's, it's very a very tough decision. To it's make. a very, very tough decision. And I mm-hmm. usually tell people, how do you feel about it? Are you postponing death or prolonging life? And, some, and you usually can tell. Yeah. What about okay. cho- cho- chocolate, giving dogs chocolate? Well, large amounts of chocolate are toxic to dogs. Large amounts. And, and they're toxic to us, mm-hmm. too. But see, we wouldn't sit down and eat two pounds of chocolate right away. But a dog will. And so th- they can die from that because it, it mimics theophylline and it, it's a bronco. Di- I mean, you know, they, di- they can die from ingestion of large amounts of chocolate. So generally speaking, we say don't give chocolate to dogs. But if you do, it's a very, very small amount. I don't <laughs> – I wouldn't recommend it simply because I <laughs> – I don't know that the dog cares whether you give him chocolate or not. What you're giving them is a love offering. So if you're giving them a love offering, give them a Cheerio. Low in calorie, <laughs> it's uh, safe to give them, and they like them just as much as they do chocolate. <laughs> okay, good advice. Often wondered about that. We had a dog that we gave chocolate chips to over its lifetime, lived to be 16 years old, little peek-a-poo. <laughs> but you probably only gave him one or two. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Back to the phones. We'll bring in uh, Tony calling from Ladue. Tony, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Hi. I have an 11-year-old Havanese who, ever since we've had her, when we feed her, she'll take a piece of kibble from her bowl, and in the house that we're in now, she'll walk from the kitchen into the hallway onto a particular spot on the rug, eat that piece of kibble, and then she'll go back to her bowl and finish. It's baffled me. I can't understand any idea why she might do something like that. I can't really say for sure. She may want to just test what it is, okay, yeah. uh, and see. There's some dogs that like their food on the flat as opposed in a bowl, and depending on how much hairs are around their face, that when they push their face into the bowl, it, it, it's uncomfortable. So if she had a wider, flatter, like a pie plate, would she not do that? I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Dry food or wet food for dogs? I don't, I don't know that it matters. There is, per piece, there's more calories in dry food, but there's more water in wet food. Mm-hmm. So depending on what your pet needs, for example, a dog or a cat that has compromised kidneys, wet food's better because they get more... Um, water with mm-hmm. with their food, which is really important for kidney function. If an animal, a dog or a cat, eats a lot of wet food, they tend to have more dental tartar. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, let's go to Charles calling from St. Louis. Here's an interesting question. Hi, good afternoon. So I'm uh, asking about um, why my dog licks and yawns um, somewhat often, but it just, uh, I'm not sure what, it, what, what that means. She's about four years old, she has a, a mixed uh, Australian Shepherd stray. In dogs, I don't know what you mean by licks. I mean, excessive licking, so the dog is licking at a, a rate that interferes with normal functioning. We wonder whether or not they're actually nauseous or they don't feel well. Some studies have shown us that uh, licking of abnormal surfaces, air licking in dogs that's continuous to the point where you notice it all the time, 
these dogs tend to have some sort of gastrointestinal problem that once treated the licking decreases. Mm -hmm. So I don't know the frequency of your licking that you have with your dog and you might want to write it down. You might want to time it because maybe it really isn't that long. Yawning and licking also can be signs of dogs that are a little bit anxious. It's, a, it's what's called a displacement behavior, sort of like twirling your hair. So maybe they're not sure what's happening in the house and they're licking their lips and they're yawning because they're a little bit stressed. And of course, dogs do yawn when they're tired. What I would suggest that you do is you, you know, on your calendar that's on your fridge or your bulletin board, put down some sort of record of how often she licks and yawns. And it may not be as often as you think, uh, it's just noticeable. But if it is often multiple times a day and seems to be interfering with her ability to do normal things, then I would suggest you speak to your veterinarian about what else you might want to look into. Should, Excellent. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for the call. Should we let dogs lick our faces? <laughs> <laughs> Which they like to do. Uh, facial greeting is, is common in dogs. That's how they greet each other, dogs that know each other. And they will... Uh, lick the muzzle of another dog. So if you if it doesn't bother you that your dog licks your face, it doesn't bother me. Okay? Uh-huh. And it's a very personal thing. I the way I look at it is I know where their nose and tongue has been and I prefer that they <laughs> not lick my face. But uh but you know and some dogs are lickers and some dogs aren't. And if it makes you and your dog happy to show affection that way, you should definitely do it. Let's take another call. Kent will join us from St. Louis. Kent, go ahead. Hi. Um, I, I really, really am enjoying this. I've been fostering and rescuing dogs for 30 years. Um, and, by the way, I enjoy the kisses. Uh, so do it's I. a personal thing, and it's I okay. I love the puppy kisses. Those are so Puppy nice. kisses are different. <laughs> Little puppy kisses are different. Puppies smell well, different, I too. They you, have puppy breath. I just breath. enjoy them totally. I really do. <laughs> And as a matter of fact, we just uh, we just fostered and adopted a new one on Sunday, um, Shiba Inu. And I also have an 80-pound, um, well, I think we know mom was Australian Shepherd, but dad was probably a Rottweiler, we think. We don't know, because we just rescue and whatever comes our way, then that's what we do. Um, but this is a really excellent conversation. And I'm, I'm interested on, on your views on um, exercise. So uh, I play ball with the Rottweiler um, every morning. Uh, we play in a park in Brentwood, um, and and I, I didn't do frisbee with her because she's big, and I don't want her to leap and jump, mm-hmm. and I, I'd be worried, you know, about about hip issues and so sure, forth. Sure, that's a lot of weight to jam onto the it, it limbs when they jump. Yeah, it is. a lot of weight to leap yeah. up and jump and so forth. And so now we've got a brand new Shiba Inu um, just came to us on Sunday, and and I want to I want to train with play catch and so forth. But I know that I do have to be cautious about um, about the you know uh, leaping and jumping, and I just I just want them structured to be safe. Kent, let's get a response to that. We have other callers waiting, so well, we'll get a response. Um, Playing frisbee is not necessarily dangerous for many dogs. And again, it has to do with the physical fitness of your dog and also the physical structure of your dog. Some dogs are structurally very sound, and they can do that. I had a 90-pound German short hair pointer, and, and he could you know, catch a frisbee, and he would jump in the air. But as he got older, we didn't let him do it anymore. And it just depends on the dog. Um, 
fetch with a ball is great. If you're playing out in the park, my only caveats are that if there are other dogs around, it's not a good idea to play fetch because I have seen dog fights break out over the ball. Mm-hmm. So if other dogs show up, it's probably time to take your ball and go home. <laughs> Let's bring in Wendy calling from Creve Coeur. She's got a different question. There. Um, yeah, I have one of my dogs is three legged. He's missing a back leg. Mm-hmm. And I have, he's about seven years old and he's a big dog. And this, we have stairs going upstairs. And I just am not sure how much using that, the stairs and how much exercise is too much for him. He whines if he can't go upstairs, but then sometimes he can't even, he'll go three and then he's just laying there. Right. Well, there are some products on the market that are um, body cradles that you put under their chest and most of them are made of nylon or leather and they have a handle on them. And then you can help your dog go up the stairs. So if you would like him to be upstairs with you, then my suggestion is that you help him up with this uh, dog carrier basically and put a gate at the top of the stairs once he's up there so that he doesn't fall down when he tries to go down the stairs and it, it's not a new missing leg it's it's an old i understand thing, but, but um, he's older now and yeah, and so hurting him to to do that kind of stuff only if you're going to help him would be my guess i haven't seen your dog so i don't really know but the the amount of muscle that he needs on his back leg to get himself up the stairs is considerable and as he's aged he may not have that much muscle so if you're willing to help him with a lift a dog lift then i would bring him upstairs but otherwise since he does collapse at some point then he's not really strong enough to do that Thank you for calling, though. Yeah, thank you for the call. Well, I think I have time for one more, so let's uh, go to Liz calling from Ladue. Liz, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. I was calling to ask about my dog. He marks, like, the legs of furniture <laughs> all the time. He's 11, and he's potty trained, but he's been doing it for years. Is there a way to make him stop, or what is your suggestion? Uh, urine marking in dogs... Uh, continues even when they've been uh, neutered. They, some of them still do consider a urine mark. Urine marking is often an anxiety-based condition. So if there's a lot of disruption or uh, the dog is feeling anxious about whatever it might be, uh, kids going off to college, kids coming home from college, you had a party, uh, all sorts of things, they may mark, continue to mark more. It is helpful to make sure that the bladder is empty and it is helpful to confine the dog in places where he can't mark. So if no one's home, that he'd be someplace where if he marks, it's easier to clean up. And there are what are called belly bands that absorb the urine. It doesn't change the marking behavior, but it doesn't get on your furniture. And finally, there is a veterinary behaviorist, um, Dr. Colleen Koch, and she sees cases at the Mizzou-Wentzville facility, and she might be able to help you to counter-condition him so they no longer feels the need to mark. Thank okay. you for the call. Thank how can, you. How can people get in touch with you? After 48 years in practice, um, I'm, do, I'm done you. seeing cases. I just lecture and write books. I have a new book that came out in January of 2018 for veterinarians, and uh, 
Well, we'll have to have you back here to keep your I love answering questions. Uh, all the knowledge is there, but uh, it's time for, you know, a little rest. Yeah. We have to wrap it up. Uh, one final question, getting back to the weather. If you have an animal that you're leaving at home while you're working all day, should you keep your house warm, keep it cool? Dogs do have a higher body temperature than we do. So I would say if you like to turn your, your heat down to 65 when you're away, that won't bother your dog. Okay. I wouldn't turn it down to like 50. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in there. But 65, I, they probably would be pleasant. Good. All right. Good information once again. I want to thank you so much for being My with pleasure. us. My pleasure. I'll come back. Yeah, well, you certainly will because we're going to ask you to come back. That's for sure. Deborah Harwitz. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.